I'm Amber. Hi, I'm Charlotte. Hi, I'm Corinne. Hiya, I'm Danielle. Hi, I'm Kelly. And together we are Unfiltered, where the her is no longer silent. Unfiltered is the coming together of five neurodivergent women, and together we will be discussing all things neurodiversity. Autism, ADHD, parenting, being parent carers, inclusion, and how these are led by our experiences of womanhood. All voices are welcome here and we do not discriminate. Our, our goal is to create a real, inclusive, safe space and community for everyone to be their unfiltered self. This space is all about community and not competition, empowering others through their differences and removing stigma. Whether you are here for yourself or a loved one, you are welcome here. So come and join us in this unfiltered conversation today. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin. Even though we discuss certain medical conditions such as autism and ADHD, we are not medical professionals and cannot offer any medical advice. And this is not a diagnostic tool. This is a tool to be used in terms of your education and to gain support and clarity. But please don't take any medical advice from this. If you do have any concerns, please go and speak to your GP. Also, please note we are all neurodiverse. So you're going to get a lot of talking over each other. We're going to swear a little bit. And sometimes we're going to forget what we're saying mid-sentence. And that's okay. This is a female-based platform that aims to empower the voices of women who often, especially within the neurodivergent community, tend to be lost. As we are all females, we are all born females, we can only give our lived experience as females. But obviously, regardless of gender, you are welcome here as this aims to be an inclusive space. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to our first official episode of the Unfilled Herd podcast. This week we're going to kick off with a topic that's obviously close to our hearts and a lot of the reasons why we've started this in the first place. We will be speaking about being neurodivergent women and shining a spotlight on the challenges that we face in our lives. So a brief overview, um, just to give a better understanding of the topic, is as neurodivergent women and the intersectionality that comes with that I mean there's challenges with being a woman but then when you think about what we additionally face when it comes to being neurodivergent it's like a whole new ball game and this would affect things like work our life responsibilities being parents and running a household things like pregnancy things people wouldn't even consider whether it be you know struggling to express our needs and you know the extra strain that's put on us as women that is also an issue that I know many face um social expectations stereotypes and you know many of us haven't been diagnosed until we were adults um there's other things like you know relationships whether it be with your partner or your friends and work colleagues, just everybody as a whole. And that, you know, can be caused by things, how we express ourselves and communicate and also impacted by RSD if we are, you know, extra sensitive or just taken the wrong way. All of these things affect us majorly. And I think that it's a topic that's so important that, you know, it should be spoken about more to help raise awareness, but also to let other neurodivergent women out there know that, it isn't just them who are facing these challenges and it's just really healthy to speak about these things because it can be quite mm-hmm. like comforting for others who are going through these things and sometimes they internalize so much but when they hear others saying actually this is how I feel it validates them and their feelings and can be really helpful so yeah so what you were saying internalizing that was pretty much me up until because obviously I'm slightly different to you guys I did have a childhood diagnosis mm-hmm. but again it was the whole no one told me thing so I didn't really know what any of it meant and then um yeah it was only when I started researching it and kind of looking at other people's videos and like all of you guys and I was like oh shit it's not just me like I've actually never had a unique experience in my life we all feel the same way but it's just no one's actually talking about it and I think with women it's the whole kind of you've got to be a good girl. Do you know what I mean? That was my thing growing up. It was, oh, you've got to be a good girl. You've got to like do as you're told. And I think girls do have such a different level of expectation put on them to boys. And I mean, I think all, like mm-hmm. we're all parents to boys here. And I know even with like my son, obviously he's five. And I don't know, I just feel like he's way more freer than I've ever been. 
like if he doesn't want to do something like even earlier he made me die we were walking to school and we saw one of the mums and I went oh hello morning I went you get say hello to so-and-so's mum and he went no <laughs> 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 I was like, sorry it's a bit savage um but yeah but even that like why do I need to apologize for him like I shouldn't really he's five if he doesn't want to say hello to you he doesn't have to but I don't know I always kind of feel like with women we're trying to fit into this like mm-hmm. and when you're neurodivergent especially when you're autistic and ADHD like especially for me like the social cues and the nuances that go with that are like I don't understand them and I don't know they're there and Mm -hmm. that's things have happened and then it's only been like oh you know you're not meant to do that and I'm like oh Mm and do you find what no one tells you no one tells you oh by the way like this or like you were meant to do that the F word, but can I just say, as a neurotypical, I are think, you neurotypical, Kelly? I don't think I am, but I, I don't have an official label. Neurotypical, um, I do massively relate to all of you women, but I think what I can probably do as the oldest uh, mm. in the group is just, I think, what we all mutually feel is as women, there is a huge expectation. That women have got their shit together and that actually we're we all ain't all right. <laughs> and then yeah. when we're not all right people panic yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's expected that we are organized planned it's just expected that you are able to multitask uh-huh. it's almost like that gender subconscious thing you know where you know our women can multitask they can look after kids and cook dinner and pack a bag for tomorrow and 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 still be mentally all right and actually then when we're not or we show an amount of not being all right with stuff everyone panics Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of pressure on women in general to almost just automatically be able to do those things without the maybe you know if you're neurodivergent needing reasonable adjustments or additional needs but actually on women in general I think there's quite a lot of pressure um, to be strong and be all right with everything and when we're not and you know now I think that it's time to raise our voices a bit in terms of if we're not okay it seems to be like a bit alien that you know it would be all right if a bloke can't cope with all Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. expectation and i think that is ingrained in the kids really young Mm -hmm. if mine have got a problem they come to me yeah Yeah. any more than him but apparently Mm -hmm. he's coming to me now yeah Yeah. asked his dad Mm -hmm. to call me and the day before, he shouted past his dad to call me for something that he could have just asked him to do. Even though I was getting ready and I was busy, he literally was beside him. His dad was between the two of us and he shouted past him to call me. But it's it's true. We put so much pressure on ourselves from a young age to mask. And I know that because Remy's been masking since before she could walk. And... It's just natural. It's something that I think we naturally do. And yeah. I've made myself ill. Like I've literally been hospitalized because I put so much pressure on myself from before I was even diagnosed because I am the most disorganized person I know, but I'm expected to be the most organized person. It's almost forced on me to the point where I make myself ill. And I now try to encourage Remy to be herself literally and now she's very much herself and she is unapologetically Mm -hmm. and I love that I absolutely adore her and I think she's amazing and I want to make sure she knows that because I don't want her to later on in life be in the position that I'm in where I've constantly second-guessed everything you know judged myself put pressure on myself to the point where I've I'm ill and now I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get myself healthier so I am there for my kids and able to be you know better but it's hard when it is literally ingrained into our being um but it's just so unhelpful I don't think it's a a male 
women thing. I think it's a, a women kind of identity role that whether you're neurodivergent or not, there is a level of masking there for, for, for women and there is a really high social expectation on us. It's the yeah. intersectionality thing as well when it comes to, you've obviously got being women and then you have very like loads of different other factors. So social status, um, being neurodivergent, your ethnicity. I mean, I wrote a piece recently about being a brown skinned woman and how that then affects me on a different level when it comes to, this was to do with like maternal health and so on. But we have this stereotype and also, you know, our own separate social expectations where we are expected to be strong. We're expected to carry ourselves in a certain way. Certain women from different religions and different parts of the world will have a whole different experience to all of us. My experience is going to be different to you guys. Mm -hmm. Corinne's is going to be different because of where she lives in the country. Like there's so many different layers that That's are set up in all different ways. And I know for a fact that when I went to into labor with Remy, this is the first time I really noticed it, but then it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that I've always experienced it. But I went in in labor with Remy and because I present myself in a way where I'm very calm, I've got a high pain threshold, I don't want to make a fool of myself and be screaming and so on. So I carry myself in a certain way. They never took me seriously. And they kept sending me off into, I was literally walking up and down the streets of Hackney in labor to the point where I'd had enough. And I felt, you know what, for them to actually listen to me, I'm going to have to act a fool and start screaming. I don't want to, because I've got, mm -hmm. maybe it's my ego. I've got too much pride. I don't know. But I went in there and I said, if you can take me in right now, I'm going to have this baby right here because I'm ready And I lost it. There was another lady beside me who burst into tears, bless her, a young woman who her demeanor was different and she was being seen to. Turned out she wasn't even in labor. I was 10 centimeters dilated and actually ready to go mm -hmm. and push and have Remy. And less than an hour later, Remy was born. But had they had taken me seriously when I first went in, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have where I deserved. And unfortunately, this leads to so much issues and you know children being lost women losing mm -hmm. their lives because of this stereotype that's put out there and it's it's seen that you know black women are five times more you know more prone to having certain experiences um mm -hmm. because of this cultural difference or the stereotypes and how we're viewed and so on and yeah, it's just it's it's um it's definitely a major issue and something that's such a deep topic because even me being from a poor background, I'm going to have a very different experience to someone else who could be a um you know a black lady or you know an Asian lady or whoever, or another white lady could have a very different experience if she's from a poor background in comparison to someone who's black and from a well-to-do background. It's there's layers to it. It isn't just race. It isn't just being neurodivergent. It isn't just being a woman. It's everything. Life as a whole yeah. affects us all in different ways. Um, and I think that that's something that's really important and should be acknowledged because, again, I know um, women. So that's why I say it's not just a race thing because my sister's white. My mum's white. They've had quite similar experiences to me because of how we've been raised and where we've been brought up. So sometimes you can go into somewhere and the way you dress or the way you speak is how you're going to be treated. And so, so many different things will affect that and how, you know, society sees you and the service that you get, I guess. It's a shame, isn't it, that you had to play up to that role or that stereotype, though? I had to be somebody else. Yes. Yeah. People get dealt with but actually yeah. people that are calm and still in need are not are not taken seriously because in that situation the person who is loudest mm -hmm. gets the most attention but it's also the the fear of speaking up as well when you're in that situation when you're in labor and you're thinking you know i need something i need this something to help the pain i mean i know i did i really struggled to you know, I even struggled to press the button to get the nurse to come in because I felt like I was a burden. Like, even yeah. I was in labour, it was, I'm a burden, they're going to come in. And you, 
that don't stop even when you're in labor that feeling and like the way that feels doesn't stop and like you said it's only those that shout the loudest when you get to that point is when you finally listen to but you shouldn't have to get to that point no. to be heard oh and also um, desperation literally desperation Mm-hmm. But you know, a birth plan or what you know, I, I filled out one once, no one even read it. But actually, they should have a section on there for people that have got sensitive sure. when they're having a baby and those reasonable adjustments, and they don't. Well, the problem is, is overwhelming. They say, Oh, let's not let's not tell anyone, let's just say you have anxiety. That's what happened to me. Yeah, but I weren't even diagnosed back then as yeah. well. That's another thing. I was, yeah. I sat there with my midwife and, I mean, Dean's here, he can back this up. But me and Dean sat in the appointment, it was the first one where they, like, book you in and stuff. And they were like, oh, do you have any pre-existing conditions, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, like, I've suffered with anxiety, which I have. Um, And at the time, because I wasn't really clued up on neurodiversity, I didn't know what the word meant. But I knew I had an autism diagnosis from childhood. So I said, oh, I've got a childhood diagnosis of autism. And she sat there and she went, um, sort of looked at Dean, looked at me. And she was like, oh, um... You have quite a supportive partner. Um, what's your what's your network like? And I went, oh yeah, like my mum, blah blah blah, like lifted off all these people. She went, I'm just gonna put that you have anxiety. So then I was like, right, I can't say to anyone that I'm autistic, so they're gonna take my baby off me. Uh-huh. That was the A to B. I was been like, can't you spell autism then? Well, mm-hmm. now I'd be like, pardon, like now I'd speak up, but yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't advocate for myself. I didn't know. I didn't know what the word advocate mean. Men. So important for the communication side of things, even when it if it comes to them trying to give you potentially life saving advice during your labor, and, and communicate with you, yeah, because even when they kept sending me away, they're the professionals to me, and it's the kind of like the authority in the situation. So to me, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll just it. go out again. They wouldn't even put me in a room. I was out in the public waiting room of the dirty hospital or up and down the high street in Homerton, which if you know the area, you probably won't, but it's not the greatest. This like was the dregs of Hackney. I mean, of London, sorry. And so in my mind, okay, you're sending me away. But I was literally, I could feel I was ready to push because I was fully dilated. And I went back in. And when she said to me again, I'll just go away and come back in a couple of hours. Uh, I was so desperate. And that's when I thought, do you know what? I need to kick off. Because they sent me away about four or five times. And I'd been there all day. And it was now like, I think Remy was born just after 1am. And that's what I had to do. Otherwise, I would have been back out there again and potentially out of in the hallway. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, the experiences you have? Because when I had Lorcan, I was accused of being a thief. Oh, yeah, in the hospital. So licking the gas. Um, what are you going to steal? No. So they in the maternity bit because it was nine it's pounds. Like it was nearly nine pound, and he's proper round. He's like a Christmas turkey, right? And them little bottles in the hospital, he would drain them. So oh. at that point, like sixteen years ago, you could just go to a cupboard and help yourself. Yeah, had little bottles and little teats, and you would take a bottle, take a tea, and and feed your baby. So I would have to take two or three of them, right? Because he was he was like, he'd literally like burp afterwards and want another one. He'd be like, come on, where's my food? <laughs> so I would get I was giving him like two and a half, which is about nine ounces from oh. birth. And he oh. slept all night from birth, right? It's like desperate Dan. He was like, log, 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 sleep. <laughs> and I remember he had a baby grown, it said milk built this body, and he was like proper butch. <laughs> So. And she said to me, I've noticed that you keep going to the cupboards quite a lot. Would it be all right if we look in your bag? That's awful. That's disgusting. And I was so like, bad. you can look in the bin. I was like, he's hungry. He's hungry. <laughs> you can look in the bin. And she was like, it's just that we have like a certain limit. That, And I was like, well, he thought it was an all you how about do your job and see what you know the child is the baby's taking in they're supposed to ask you these questions Brendan had to go to boots and buy them because they wouldn't give me anymore because he was drinking two or three at a time I was only there 24 hours but he'd probably done about 10 of them and I'd imagine they just thought he was just going to have one or two stingy on the old milk but when I went I mean this is just um an example I suppose of how much money the NHS did have and now they haven't um 
because when I went with Oscar, they didn't have it available at all. No, yeah. They didn't want it. See, Brody, we could look and drunk it all. Not the milk. <laughs> look and drunk it all. Look and drunk it all. We could use worth in a day. But yeah, when I had law, uh, when I had Oscar, that that wasn't even a thing. I just had some uh, midwife. I think she was Russian or something. Gloria, who oh. died of cesarean when I had Oscar, and I had bottle green support stockings. Lovely. And she kept coming into me saying, "Are you all right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she was like, well, "Do you want me to go and get you some pink ones?" Oh. <laughs> That make me feel better, and then she embezzled <laughs> me some pink support stockings. Her. Yeah, um, but it's just, I suppose, experiences that you have, isn't it? Like, we had two of or one other child when I had Lorcan, and it was a t at a time where the dads were there, and then they kind of went again. So, I'm on my own, I'm mm. loving it. I've got like, I've paid. I had to pay money on this card and I got like a little screen that came round on the bed so I could watch telly. There was a Magnum machine. I was like, happy days. In bed, Magnum, EastEnders on, woman accusing me of nicking the milk. But I obviously fitted into that stereotype of someone that would steal it. Maybe. So if you looked and spoke in a different way, it would have been approached in a different way. And that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's all about, I think those experiences are all about very quick, um, very... It's that judgments, isn't it? Yeah, like, it, basically it was assumed, because I, I rocked up and I had flash wipes, I had Brendan cleaning the room, mate. I weren't going in there till we'd cleaned it all. And I think <laughs> they'd made their mind up that maybe they thought I was a bit of a freeloader and that mm -hmm. I was just out for, I wanted, I was maybe a bit precious and it wasn't that, I just didn't want to get E. coli. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Just I had the opposite experience. I was accused of being um just there for drugs, basically. Um, because of the <laughs> because of the medications I was on um during my pregnancy with Tommy because of the EDS and a lot of them I had to change and I was a high risk pregnancy for that. And I already knew that we were gonna That's be kept so bad, it's terrible. Oh withdrawal observations um and addiction observations on him i had an, a lovely anaesthetist because they said if i had to have a c-section they would have to put me under general um but i was taking my meds as normal quite strong analgesic pretty much the strongest you can get by prescription and thankfully the midwife i was in um i had to be induced because tommy he was always a lazy baby, would never move. Um, but the first midwife I had, she looked at my notes and she went, so you think you're going to get more than paracetamol? And I said, no, I've got a whole form. If I need a PCA, I'll have a PCA. An early epidural, you know, needs to be put in just in case. Gosh. She went, well, I know mothers like you. She said, kids having kids, mothers like you, you're just in here for the hardcore drugs. And I was like... How no. disgusting. Yeah. We're no, the same age and our kids are the same age. So you were 26. Uh, 20, 25, yeah. 26. Because Tommy was born in December 17. So. Oh, sorry. No, Tommy. I just, he was four months old when I turned 26. Yeah, because I turned 26 in 2018. But it was so all because. Anyway, to accuse you of going yeah. in there to get the drugs. Yeah. She said, I need a pen. If I want to get drugs, I can. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a lovely midwife that Easy. I've got some more in the cupboard. I've still got my ADHD yeah. kids. I don't need your shit. But like this woman, because it had all been set up that I could have my meds in the room, take them as prescribed, as I've been doing them for years, she wouldn't have it. No, it has to be in a CD cupboard. It has to be kept under lock and key. You are not to ask for your meds. We will give it to you. And then I never forget, she went off shift on the Saturday night. Her shift ended at eight o'clock the Saturday night. And she said, good luck getting anything covered in gas and air because you'll have nothing. And she went, and the baby won't even be born tonight. She said, and when I come back from my shift tomorrow, I fully expect social services to be on the ward with you. You should have said to her, when you come back for the shift tomorrow, love, I'm getting you in a headlock. So get that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to laugh. Please don't complain. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. But 
I said to her, when you come back, I'll have had my son. I said, I know my body. And they made it out that I was only in for an induction because it was before Christmas, because he was due Christmas Eve. I had a lovely midwife that delivered Tommy. She was fantastic. And just as we were being wheeled out from the labour and delivery ward at quarter to nine the next morning to go over to like the maternity ward that you have to stay on, um, that midwife come in and I looked at her and I said, he's a healthy six pound one baby and he's scoring zero on addiction and withdrawal. I said, and I did have him. I said, so what's your problem? Unfortunately, I had a lady that was next to me in the ward who it wasn't her first, second or even third child that she had had that had been taken off of her. Um, and the fourth child she'd gone in for did have to be removed. But the midwife that spoke to me like that on the labour and delivery ward came over to the actual ward. She was involved with that other patient. And as she walked past, she went, well, that's what you get when you start off on medication like you're on for pain. And I was like, don't compare me. Why is she That patient's nothing to do with me. And as awful as it was, when you've got somebody making phone calls to get narcotics dropped off at a hospital, and that's all they're bothered about, and they're talking about how they can smuggle it in through their newborn baby and out, don't lump me in that same class. Apparently, because I was in my 20s, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, And disabled women like me shouldn't have children. That's what I was told. You said you have recognised conditions that, and your medication is prescribed for that reason. How dare she put you in the same category? Because she said that it it was a made-up condition, despite it being on the NHS's website, despite having an official diagnosis. Hang on, hang on. What was your diagnosis? Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, joint hyperventilation. You didn't have the autism diagnosis, just the... I didn't have the ASD diagnosis. And I think... Because, my God. I was so worried because at that time, especially like 2015 to 2017, there was a lot of children, a lot of newborns that were being taken off of their parents for abuse and were wrongly being taken off of their parents because one or both parents had... Ehlers-Danlos syndrome joint hypermobility so the babies were born with bruising or um, they would dislocate so I very much hyper focused on that obviously I didn't know at the time I was autistic as well um, but I remember pushing to get Tommy observed and I remember them saying that he was extremely floppy um, and we were just so fortunate we had a really really good midwife help with the delivery and an amazing consultant because I think if it wasn't for them I would have lost Tommy probably he would have been taken off of me that's really sad and I think that really highlights Danielle doesn't it that there needs to be adjustments made in midwifery for parents that might Um, have disabilities that are not hitting where they should on the chart because Tommy could have been born with bruising because he's got EDS, because you've got EDS, and because there's not enough awareness, it could have very easily been signposted as abuse. And actually, that's not all right. No, it needs to be looking at the bigger picture as well. Because then there's other cases, like obviously I lived near where um, the whole baby peas thing happened, Mm -hmm. and they were kind of going, oh, well, you know, it's chocolate or whatever, because it was, oh, well, mum and dad are together and la, la, la. Like, they they took that picture and decided yeah. it was okay. And it's like, well, no, you need to be looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. The baby clean is, you know, mum happy. Is the baby happy? Have they got this? Have they got that? Have they got support? The now? whole setup of that house and how it yeah. worked yeah. was red flags. And if they'd have lived in any other borough, yeah. and not Harrogate, Yep. If baby P was living in Chelsea, he would have been removed yep. because the child protection 100%. procedures are completely different. But for some reason, the borough of Haringey, their uh, markers to remove children because of the level of social issues that are there were lower. Yep. And that yep. is why baby P's death was never in vain or Victoria Climbier, who was also from the same borough, mm-hmm. because they changed the law for child protection. Yeah. Because the law now is that 
every child in every borough hits the same criteria for yes. removal. Yeah. Before that, it didn't. Wow. It was based on yeah. that borough. So what was going on in that borough? What were the social issues in that borough? And what could they mark them on? And that then is why you were treated the way you were, Danielle, because you're Ashford area. Yeah. There's a high tr there's a high drug um, because you're on the pathway for county lines in Ashford. Yeah. That's where the drug deals happen. Because people right. can get back into London, they can cross that line, they can do the drug deal in London and get it into Kent very easily through Ashford. Mm -hmm. yeah. So therefore, anyone who's within an age bracket in Ashford is earmarked as being a drug runner yeah. or a drug addict. You're either selling it or you're taking it. That's not a true picture. No. It's, it's, it's a very narrow-minded view. And it's, it's, yeah, it it's is. back to that point of... All the different factors it wasn't just the fact that you obviously have yeah. your, your diagnosis and your, your your additional need but your age the area that you live in all of these yeah. things and unfortunately you've come across someone who should be actually giving you extra support because your situation is already stressful enough as it is mm -hmm. instead she's put an extra pressure on you and many other women now who have certain extra need where they they actually need support are apprehensive and scared to even speak up and ask for it and it's just giving extra stress which they add labels to, they add labels to everything and everyone like when i had oscar i was down as a geriatric mother because i was 35 <gasps> that's horrendous geriatric I'm 36, so i'm not geriatric like, no wonder Gloria was sticking her head around the door asking me if I wanted some more support stockings. She probably thought I was going to have some sort of aneurysm due to my age. <laughs> well, I don't want any more kids. I'm 31. To be yeah. honest, to remove pressure on women, I think we've got to stop overperforming. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we don't do ourselves any favours, do we? No, because we're doing everything so amazingly. We set the bar, yeah. And then when we're not there... People start. Yeah. Barbie, yeah. Isn't it? Have you all seen Barbie? You've yeah, all seen sorry. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. No. Yeah. It's women empowering the way in it. I've heard. Is, is, is it no. any good? It's amazing. No. It's amazing. I was starting to crack voices, but then when it got going, <laughs> I loved it. No, I, 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 I cried. And there's this really good monologue in it by um, America Ferreira. And she plays actually a character called Gloria. And um, shout out to the glorious today. Sorry. And um, she has this really amazing monologue, monologue. And it's essentially everything that women can and can't do. So it's like, you have to be grateful. You have to be happy. You have to be thin, but you can't be too thin. But you can't ever say you want to be thin. You want to say that you're healthy. And it goes on and on and on. It's an amazing monologue. I'll show it to you. It's so good. And to me, that monologue kind of sums everything up. Like I did a post a couple of years ago and it was... Um, Something like, you mean to tell me that I have to look after my baby, keep it alive. I can't give it screen time. I have to be doing educational stuff with it all the time. I have to be feeding it healthy meals. I'd be keeping myself healthy. I need to still have a good sex life. I need to still, still go see my friends. I need to be a good wife. I need to be a good partner, a good daughter. I need to do all of that and still be a size eight and still and do that on like three hours sleep. We're just meant to do all those things. And it went absolutely batshit. And I just wrote it at like three in the morning randomly and then posted it, didn't think anything of it. And I think it it touched such a nerve with people because it is such a universal truth that we're just expected to do all these things and meet yeah. markers. And there were so many people that were like, well, you know, you put these pressures on yourself. And I'm like, no, yeah, no. No. no, because if I don't do all these things, I'm seen as less than. Like, yeah. I, there are still people who the only time they're proud of me is when I lose weight. Like that's sometimes the most. That's saying. Like, yeah, like that's the biggest achievement you can do is lose weight. And it's like, no, like, I think it was JK Rowling. I know JK Rowling's a bit controversial now, but I remember she, um, I think she'd brought out the Goblet of Fire and she went to something and someone saw her and she just had a baby and she'd released a book and obviously a huge book and they went, oh, you look really well. You've lost weight. And she was like, I cannot believe out of all the things that I've achieved this year, like I've literally created a body, given birth to it, had my other children, had written a flipping massive book, like best-selling, amazing book. And the thing you want to talk to me about is whether or not I've lost weight. Yeah. 
appearance. Yeah. yeah. Like, this generation breaks the mold though, because like Charles yeah, son, I've, I've I've like my daughter is grown. She's twenty two, so I I I'm hoping I put enough in to make her a half decent human being. But I think we're all boy mums in terms of children apart from Charlotte who's raising a girl and I really like that this generation is actually the only achievable goal that you're giving Remy is to be happy in herself and yeah. not explain yeah. and I think that if we can instill that in our boys that actually nobody don't personify people whether they're a girl or a boy the aim that you need to be the only thing that you're expecting others is that they're happy in their time and space. They're happy with who they are and yeah. remove those pressures because this is almost historic pre-subconscious bias that we are dealing with because our mums felt those pressures yeah. and they've instilled them in us. Yeah. So a lot of it is inherited. It is. You know, I love that, that, you know you've broken that in Remy and if she has children that won't be something that passes down because it's not there it's not a thing you, the main expectation on uh, of your daughter is that she's happy in herself and that she knows she doesn't have to explain herself to anybody um, you know yeah. I remember being told off when I was upset when I was younger I wasn't yeah. asked how I was I was up I, yeah. I was pain in the ass because I was screaming and I would get told off for making a fuss or being told, don't be silly. And what yeah. that is doing is you're teaching your children that having feelings are silly. And that wasn't something that my parents did purposely. Yeah. That's because that's how they were brought up. Yeah. And I think that it's about discipline, isn't it? There was a big focus. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. There's a big focus on discipline and people knowing their place. Mm -hmm. in the hierarchy <laughs> I mean, don't, don't get me wrong with my kids I do have a certain I do expect a certain less, a level of discipline and I expect mm -hmm. them to be decent human beings I expect them to be well behaved be kind be you know thoughtful and those kind of things but my main the reason why I put such a focus on happiness and you know just them being happy in whatever it is they want to do or be or anything and how mm -hmm. they express themselves is because firstly I want when she is upset about something I want her to know that actually I can go to my mum and speak to her and not shy away from that or be scared to come to me because I'm going to disregard her feelings but also I find that when my kids are their happiest they then not perform but the way that they approach their challenges is always with better results whether it be you know academics that people are so you know focused on they're always going to have better results or outcomes in all mm. areas when they're approaching them with happiness and confidence and that kind of attitude. Because I know me personally, when I'm happy, my life is in a better order and everything just goes much better. You're approaching yeah. them sad and depressed and with already this attitude that you can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it or you can, but maybe with less less of a good result um so I've I found it with Chase initially if I'm honest um mm -hmm. and now I'm seeing it with Remy as well but it's just I want you to be happy because other things will follow and if not yeah. that's all right as well but I'd much rather you be happy than miserable with the top marks and all these other things and I make sure I tell their teachers that as well I'm like look I don't put any pressure on my kids when it comes to their schoolwork yes I expect them to try their best but if it's not for them, something else will be. But as long as they're happy, that's all I care about. And See, I was like, I'm one of seven, and there is 20 years between me, me and my little sister. Um, so my mum basically had three sets of kids in three different generations, like the 90s, the early noughties, and like the 2010s. And obviously, I don't have a relationship with my mum now, but when I did, it's when I used to see her with my little sister, who's like nine, nine? Um, and how she's with her now compared to how I felt on how she was as a parent when I was growing up with my older brother I kind of feel a bit of a it's a bit of a um like an envious feeling like I feel really it's quite sad because I'm like that's the mum that I always wanted but because she was of that generation where she followed where her mum was like where my nan used to parent it was the you know kids should not be seen and not heard I remember going to my nan's house and we'd all be shoved in the front 
lounge while all the adults were in the kitchen having a chit chat. We weren't allowed to leave the lounge until the adults were done with their chit chat. And like now, when she takes them around there, they're all like, and I know, I know, obviously, for my mum, she's had to change her parenting because of the way the generation goes. But it's kind of like, it's sad because it's like we're then that last generation that didn't have parents that were so supportive like they are now and um, like things like you know I wanted to be an actor when I was younger I did performing arts I love drama um and I'd get things like my mum like well you ain't gonna get a job out of it so what do you want to do like things like that that then would go well I can't do that now I'm never gonna do that whereas with my siblings my, especially my little siblings it's always you know you can do this we're gonna support you my one of my little brothers um he went through a stage of uh was unsure about his gender uh, which was a big, you know, a lot for my mum, obviously, from that generation was a lot for her to deal with, but she was so supportive of him. And um, and now I know, like, if it was, I suppose, way back then, she probably wouldn't be as supportive. Yeah. But it's just, it's I like... It's around um, social education as well, isn't it? And yeah. people evolve, like, the mum you had is not the mum they've got because it's a diff- It's a completely different... Yeah. Oh, and that, tra- that trauma sits there. It's not like she didn't, you know, we didn't get physically attacked, but it's all very much so trauma that stuck with me forever. And there's little situations now, even when I'm parent my own kids or when I'm out and about, and little things trigger things from the past. And it's like, and then it makes me feel rubbish as a female. And I think that's why I'm so like, I love how, obviously I haven't got girls, I've got boys, but I love how with my boys now I'm like, whatever you want to do when you're older, you do it and we will support you. And, you know, if, I don't know, it just, it feels, I, I want my kids to be and live a life that I never really felt I had. Yeah. Um, and I that, think you're I think gentle as a parent, I think. You're, yeah. you're gentle as a parent. And I think you can, for me, relating to you, I can feel that level of trauma that you had. Like I said, I got, used to get told off uh, for being upset when I was younger, oh, always um, like as a pain in the ass. But actually, I probably was a pain in the ass because I did used mm-hmm. to cry a lot when I was little, and I and I probably did that for reactions in people. Mm-hmm. I think now we're all parents. You realise some of the difficulties that our parents face. Like at one point, they were asked yeah. in here, going, "My parents did this. My parents did yeah. that." And we've all only ever been on the planet once. This is my first time on Earth that I know of. <laughs> it's almost like all a big experiment. Mm-hmm. I've not been a parent of an autistic child before. I'm just doing what I think and I'm finding out as much as I can. And I think that's what your mum was doing when she parented you. She was not doing it intentionally. She was probably using what her mum taught her. Available to her with the skills that she had. And the results yeah. might not have been good enough, but yeah. they might have been her best. Yeah. So, and I know, like, my yeah. mum, looking back, my mum, she has a lot of childhood trauma, and I know that would have yeah. kind of yeah. not helped the way she was as a parent. Um, so I kind of I I feel sorry for her as well. I feel sorry for her because she, she didn't have a mum that was actually quite loving. So it's kind of carried on that. And I think, I, I don't know, the, the generation now... A kind of breaking those uh what's it cycle breaks cycle breakers I, I want to be one of my kids yeah well like what I've learned majorly in the most recent years since my diagnosis and how I feel and the pressures I have every day and just how everything affects me my mum I know is undiagnosed mm. and when I think back to the struggles that she had and how she was brought up and the times and everything, I do have a certain level of empathy for her. As much as I do get upset about certain things when we were growing up and the life that we lived and so on, I also always try to remember that actually she's undiagnosed, but then she's also a very different person to me. So she's softer. She's not someone who would speak up. And mm-hmm. so it's the personality, personality that she has that isn't mine. I'm quite outspoken and had the confidence to say certain things but she didn't have that but she also had all the challenges that I faced it's like an additional pressure and I also know that I come from a long line of generational you know failures um many of my family I know for generations going back were undiagnosed 
um, mm -hmm. with certain neurodiversities, um, neurodivergent conditions. Um, you know, we, a lot of us have lived in poverty and are from a low class background, and it's really hard to break that mold. You know, yeah. um, when I like what Corinne said, when you know, when we're parenting our kids, and every so often we get those triggers because we think of our childhood, mm -hmm. whereas we are one set of people who want to break the mold. So we do things because we don't want our children to have what we had. But there are also a lot of people out there who have our upbringing and unfortunately continue with the cycle because it's all they know and they yeah. don't know any different. And so, yeah, it's always, I guess, give ourselves an extra pat on the back for trying to break mm -hmm. that mold, give our kids what we didn't have. When I, you know, when we think of, what they want to be when they're older I always try to put them into clubs and get them all the things that I wish I had but I always mm -hmm. try to remember that actually my mum would have loved to have done certain things for me but she just wasn't able mm -hmm. for many different reasons um and it is it's quite sad really but I love when she she went every so often she would just say do you know what I'm so happy that your children have you as their mum because you're able to give them all the things that I weren't able to give to you. And it's, yeah, so I, that kind of gives me a little boost to know, yeah, you are right. And she, yeah. she sees that. I think yeah. you're a really good advocate for your mum, Charlotte. And I think that your mum's really proud of you because I know that you, you really look after your mum. And I think that you recognise that her journey was hers and that that has impacted on who you are, but also... It is the reason why you're as strong as you are. Yeah. I always try to remember that, actually. Even being not diagnosed until I was an adult, a lot of the time it does make me feel really sad. Like if I did have that support from young, where would I be now? But yeah. I also know that it's made me the person that I am. And the reason why I am able and maybe more resilient than somebody else who might be more of a delicate flower is because I was made to grow up quickly and... Mm -hmm to face it like sometimes I'm with my kids and I'm like you do realize that no one in my family used to drive I think I'm like the first woman in my family to drive we went through times where we had no heating and hot water my mom struggled to feed us like I always make sure they recognize that actually there's children out there who are living in them situations still and I make even though some people might look on and think I spoil my kids but I make sure they really appreciate everything mm -hmm. they have and that they hear of where I came from but not just that, like sometimes there's been times when I've felt guilty or been made to feel guilty speaking about my childhood. But I always say, you know, I want to raise awareness and talk about what I've been through in a way that's still respectful to my mum. Mm -hmm. He'll be able to own it and say, this is what I've been through. I shouldn't have to hide that because, but my mum gets it. She always says, you know, I'm happy that you are able to, you know, acknowledge what we've been through and change that for your kids but some people would maybe think it's me bashing her but it's not it's there's no much. judgment in what you're saying you're not judging oh, no. i don't judge her i love my mom to be i'd literally do anything for it That's but, I, I don't understand when people are like oh you're being bashing your you're not you're you're stating yeah. those are facts those are things that have happened and it's yeah. my life it's important to always speak about your journey who you are what you've come from because it's who you are and my journey is a part a massive part of it is my childhood and how I was brought up and yeah some people do see it as would see it as bashing but if they saw the relationship I have with my mum I absolutely adore her and she adores me and we get on great but in order for me to get over certain things and also just let other people out there know that you know that's how me and Corinne have, have, have you know managed to in a certain way because we've got very similar um but a very similar backstory people listening yeah. to this will also be able to have things that resonate with them it's not because I'm bashing her it's just an acknowledgement of this is what I've been through but also yeah. that's why I went through that it's not my mum's fault you know she was parenting at a time where things were really difficult mm. and but we still got all of the love like my mum mm. never made me question her love for us I know some children who their parents have got loads of money, but they don't ever get a hug or told that they're, they're loved. Like, never question her love for us. It's just, we did go through really bad times that were upsetting. But it's, like I said, it's made me who I am. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Your journey makes you the person you are today. So, yeah. Shapes you, that's the saying, isn't it? Yeah. And it's how <laughs> you then, I guess, 
go forwards because again yeah. some people would be walking around bitter and angry and mean okay. and not very nice people so yeah I've been through that bit I think you shouldn't be hard on yourself like I used to be really bitter about certain things that happened to mm -hmm. me when I grew up and it's not so I was brought up as like in a single parent household and there was just certain things that happened and again like none of it's anyone's fault it's just a lot mm -hmm. of happened naturally the reason I got up there's a book I read and this is actually my mum's and I ended up reading it it's called you can heal your life by Louise Hay very very old book this is like a 1990 edition um but it's really good for kind of having empathy for your parents and little you and yeah like I can now look at certain people in my life who maybe at one time I had a lot of anger for and now I have so much empathy for them. And it's actually really healing because you just think, actually, it's not saying, you're not going around going, oh, it's no one else's, no one's fault and no one take accountability. Mm -hmm. They can still take accountability for what they did or didn't do. Um, your feelings are still valid, mm -hmm. but you kind of look at them with a different framework and kind of go, actually, like through a different lens. Like I can look at certain people in my life and I can view how maybe their life was when they were a small child and then how that would have impacted them and actually when certain things happened they were only in their 20s so they wouldn't have had the you know they wouldn't have had the support or the ability and especially when you're going back to like the early 90s the 80s there wasn't a lot of empathy there wasn't a lot of and I don't know about you girls like my family like the way my mum was brought up like everyone just listened to their elders so you my always <laughs> My mum was trying to parent and having so much input from people much older. Um, yeah. And I remember when I had Brody, it was really triggering for her, like my mum, because I was like, no, mum, I'm doing it like this. And she was like, no, but you should do it like this. And I'm like, no, mum, I'm doing mm. it like this. And she did not like <laughs> it. And now it's really funny because my, like, my brother's about to have a baby and she's completely different. I think it is different now when it's your daughter to your son. Huh. Yes. Yeah. It, and but she's been completely different she's like oh yeah actually I shouldn't have said that should I I'm like no mum you shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> like there was um I remember when he was three months old and she's like right when are you gonna start giving him food and I'm like uh in three no. months <laughs> <laughs> he's right hey, he's six months old and she was like no he's hungry I was like no he's fine <laughs> that works because she also learns from us but my mum I always refer to her as the oracle because whenever I need to know something, whatever it may be, I guarantee I'll call her and she'll have an answer yeah, when yeah. it comes to something. Yeah. And so I always call her, like, and then she will give me some tips and advice and whatever. But yeah. I find with my mum, it's mostly life experience that I more teach her about. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like, if I want to chat, if there's times when I wanted to change career or when I wanted to start driving or when I, whatever it may be, she's always kind of she like no, no. the envelope a bit hey yeah. yeah she's like don't change stay it's like you've got a good no, job no, stay no. <laughs> yeah or why do you need to worry about driving for don't waste your time or don't hold on and push for the house just take the flat they're offering you because it's, it's something you're probably gonna miss out and I'm always like have you seen that meme with Usher and he's like watch this watch and I'm like yeah just watch yeah. this right you'll see just trust me and I push I always want the best yeah. And she she stopped one day and she was like, do you know what? You were right, actually. Yeah. I'm glad that you didn't listen to me because now you are driving. You do have a house. You, you know, you, you're doing things in life and your career is where it should be and you're happier. Even back to when she used to say I was too harsh on men because I had a certain expectation. I didn't take no disrespect or wouldn't allow a man to treat me in a certain way. She's like, oh, you'll just end up alone. And I said, no, I'm going to end up alone. Then do Dusty man's bullshit. Sorry. No, but she absolutely adores tea. And she, yeah. again, said to me, do you know what, actually, you were right. And I'm so glad you didn't listen to me because look at you now. Mm -hmm. And I love that because at the time she kind of gets a bit of a bee in her bonnet because I'm not listening to her. I'm like, mum, just yeah. watch. They trust me. Mm -hmm. And then she comes, she's like, oh, I'm so happy. I love watching all the stuff you're achieving because you weren't scared and holding back because of me. And that's what I would do. And she said, and I just wish that I had the confidence and the drive to do what you've done because she, she admits she'd be a much happier person. And I mm -hmm. think that it's important that people always remember that 
life gives you experiences and changes your views and your perception. Like, do you know what I mean? Back in mm-hmm. the day, there were certain things that were frowned upon, and there was awful things that happened to do with racism and stuff around the world. Oh, yeah. But always, always remember that actually people can change, times do change, you know. And I think when it comes to the generations of our grandparents, it was more to do with the world they lived in and what they knew and the mm. ignorance. Because even if you think about 10 years to when we first started advocating for our kids, there was also a lot of ignorance and people didn't know much. And we have to give them the opportunity to change, which is why even when I come across people who could be a bit ignorant towards my kids and me and our needs, and they may say things wrong or have the wrong view, I try not to get angry anymore. And I just appreciate the fact that actually the times we're in is the times that are changing. And we have give people the opportunity to embrace what we're saying and change and I guess that goes with everything really doesn't it just giving them the positive view and helping them change their perspective well like giving them the education I mean it is it don't get me wrong it is draining Mm. when you're constantly having to advocate constantly having to educate and I'm really fortunate because my family is so um divergent like my mum's side of the family has never been an issue. Dean's family have always been great. I mean, Dean's granddad's 88 and he will quite happily roll around the floor with Brody and not think anything. He uh. is <laughs> Brody's biggest fan. So, you know, they've never judged him. And like they've always, like, they might ask questions, but they've never judged him or judged us or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, for me, I always, like, I know how lucky I am to have that because a lot of families aren't like that even now. Mm. Or they'll say things and it's like, oh, like it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because like, say if someone says the wrong word, like if someone says neurodiverse rather than neurodivergent, like I'm never going to have a go at you unless you're a professional, then I will have a go at you. But if you're not a professional <laughs> learning, I'll never have a go at you. It's like when people say high functioning, low functioning. Yeah, we don't use those words anymore. But if you use it, you don't know the context. Exactly. Yeah. I'll go at you like there's bigger fish to fry, do you know what I mean? Or like Asperger's <laughs> is a big one. Um, people are like you can't use Asperger's and I'm like well if someone's 40 and they got diagnosed with Asperger's thank you great my nerves especially a neurodivergent person that can't like, that. Or struggle <laughs> with change there's that's, a certain... their, that's their identity yeah I think but, there's a certain this is probably the wrong way to put it but like there's I shouldn't say breed that's the wrong word but like there's a certain type of autistic person generally the younger generation but not all of the younger generation because some of the older ones do this as well but I mean autistic people generally we're quite pedantic we're quite black and white thinkers they hyper fixate on something and they, they, it's that strong sense of justice isn't it it's like you have to just speak correctly and it's co- completely right and it has to be this is the wording that we use now and I mean look I'm you know I'm of Jewish heritage if anyone should have a problem with Asperger's it should be me right mm-hmm. they yeah they took Jewish kids out of the um, concentration camps and were doing experiments on them yeah. to study autism, right? That's why it all got... That's where the name comes from. Yeah. That's where the name comes from, Hans Asperger. But my thing is, it's still... It was a recognised medical condition. Unfortunately, yes, the history is really awful. Yeah. And that it's no longer a thing. And I'm glad that we no longer celebrate that man. But... All the same, that was a diagnosis. That's a medical that's diagnosis amazing. that was given to someone. And Asperger's is a different um, yeah. classification, I guess. Yeah. To mm-hmm. what autism is seen now. But they used to diagnose autism as low function, high that's function. Like me, so I was, was diagnosed yeah. autistic in nineteen ninety six, and as low functioning autistic, which now would be autism and global delay. Mm-hmm. The, all the time because we're learning more all the time so I think there needs to be a level of tolerance as much as that can be really hard and I like I say we're saying this to quite a quite a pedantic audience but there does need to be a level of tolerance it's like um, the singer example um he's 41 oh yeah love kickstarts again sorry if I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how <laughs> I'm not sure how old he is but I know he's not that much older than me so he's about 41. right 42 and he went on Stephen Bartlett and he was saying I was diagnosed Asperger's and so many people kicked off and I was like but that's the man's diagnosis it's not just that but it's his identity we're we're speaking about neurodivergent people and if you're such an advocate you would know that a neurodivergent person struggles with change but you want them to change change. literally their 
picture. Being. And also, yeah. who they, you know, who they are. And also, like, for me, I mean, I don't know the man, um, but watching the interview he did with Stephen Bartlett, there was clear, he, it was very, very clear to me he struggled with a lot of internalised ableism. And that's a whole mm-hmm. other thing we can talk about then. Yeah. Um, and internalised ableism does kind of swing in quite neatly into this, actually, because of the way, especially women, like, you know, we want to be seen as perfect and blah, blah, blah. So we're harder on ourselves and therefore mm-hmm. we won't advocate for ourselves the same way or we might not meet our needs the same way. And I know I'm really guilty of that even now. And yeah. I, someone done a post, I'm not going to say who, because she's only just put it up, but she did a post and it was about her son and um, a teacher turned around to her and said, oh, he really doesn't want to be different. He wants to be like as less different as possible, like this kid. Mm-hmm. And she was really upset about it and I was like to be fair I can remember feeling like that up until very recently like all I want to do is be the same as everyone else and yes. I myself up because I'm like why can't I just be like everyone else and why can't I just sit there and be quiet and just get on with it why have I always got to do something and then it ends up being a big fucking problem and right. there's still times now where we think that, you know, especially when you're having a really bad time or really struggling yeah, in your life. I don't even go into this, anymore, but like what's happened recently, like, you know, we've had a bit of a, I don't want to say difference, but there's been a whole social media thing. Uh-huh. Even, with that, like, even during that discourse, I was like, why? Why can't I just sit here and shut up? Why can't I just be quiet? But that's just not in my nature. I can't be yeah. quiet. I don't like something or if something's upset me, I will make it clear. We're not going to call on even if I don't do it verbally, it's normally clear by my behaviour. So, so you're not going to conform, and I think that's actually a quality because if everybody conformed and followed just for an easy diet or just not to make a sound and not to make a fuss, mm. what the hell kind of world would we live in today? Yeah. It, it causes what's happening now in other countries. Yeah, and throughout yeah. history. Yeah. I might still be... Well, I wouldn't exist because my mum, it would have been illegal for my mum and dad to even be with each other. Yeah. But well, I would be there's so yeah, God knows how the world would be because people wouldn't have spoke out against what Hitler was doing. Yeah. You know? Or yeah. slavery wouldn't have been abolished and yeah, apartheid. so on and so forth. So don't conform. You know, trans wouldn't even be a thing. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, it's we need these diversities in the world. We need that. Yeah. We need that for the world to function. Yeah. And conforming never ends well no there have been times that I've been really hard on myself for that and thought oh like I wish I could in a way like but then like you say that's not a good quality to really have mm-hmm. but yeah there was a point to this and I've now forgotten it <laughs> if anyone's listened to the podcast intro I'm literally like we will forget what we were saying mid-sentence here it is <laughs> here it is I will literally have a point and I'm like was talking about it. yeah 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 so it was clear to me that he had a lot of internalised ableism. That was the first time that he had spoken about it. And, like, publicly. And I had so many messages that day, like, oh, my God, example's autistic. You should talk about this. And I was like, I don't really want it because I feel like that's kind of his business. Like, I'm not going to talk yeah. about it. Um, you know, one of my best friends, she's a massive, massive mega fan of him. Like, she made me go see him in, like, last year. She was like, come to this gig with me. I was like, okay. <laughs> she's like, I have to go see him. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll go. And he was really good, actually. But, um, you know, it's... It was clear to me he even struggled to open up about that. There is a certain mm-hmm. generation that are scared to talk about these things because yeah. weakness. I know mm-hmm. seen as weak. So, you know, and I think that's kind of where that piece comes from. But yeah, that was my point, and I've I have nothing else to say now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the steam engine. It's gone. <laughs> well, it's like yeah. the post. You know the post I did when I was trying to get a collage of people who are ADHD. Oh, Yes, and yes. the only responses I got, well, 99% of the responses I got were all from white women. Yeah. There was no, I think there was two men and mm-hmm. one or two black women. Mm. That was it. Um, and so it kind of killed my plan because the plan was to show the mixture and all the diverse people who are ADHD. And I realised actually men mm-hmm. and women from certain cultures and backgrounds and so on aren't as comfortable speaking up so it is definitely a thing and obviously we know with like men's mental health and so on um they don't like to speak up and I wrote about it and I said that I believe that it is to do with pressures from certain ethnicities and backgrounds and men we are expected to 
be strong, not make a fuss, not make a scene, just deal. And unfortunately, it does lead to mental health. Um, mm. Well, for really. a lot of people, they don't, they don't physically yeah. say, but I know people who are in my DMs and I know they're neurodivergent. They know they're neurodivergent. They they won't ever talk about it publicly. They don't feel safe. Yeah. I mean, how oh, loads of people. Yeah. I have family members who have got amazing stories to tell and they've asked mm -hmm. me to write blogs for them and I've written the blogs for them and helped them do it. And then they said, actually, no, I can't. Yeah. yeah. I said, yeah. that's okay. If anything, you at least you have this and it helps you. It's and if ever you do, for them, it's yeah, I'm always here. I'm always happy to share your story, but they aren't happy with doing that. And I, I, that's okay mm. because everyone deals it differently. You know, there's people in my parent group who are just there to observe and they yeah. find so much comfort in that, but they would never speak in there. They would never, they'll just maybe once and again, I'll get a random message saying, do you know what? I've been in your group for ages. I just wanted to reach out and say, thank you so much. It really helped me so much. I'm just not comfortable interacting but even just seeing and hearing other people speak really helps me and that's we have to respect how other people want to express themselves I think it shows that's why it's so important like the work that we're doing and all the other advocates that are out there doing all the content creators mm -hmm. you know, it, the whole TikTok thing gets a really bad rep and it's not only people diagnosing themselves through TikTok but actually these things are often a lifesaver mm -hmm. and yeah. that's the only way like for me going on Instagram and TikTok was the first time I saw myself represented in yeah. Charlotte. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember that it was the first time I, I was like, oh, there are other people that are parenting autistic kids and they're autistic themselves because I didn't have, I, mm -hmm. that, that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, you know, and it wasn't talked about. So I'm so happy. And I said this last time we spoke, like, I'm so happy that, you know, like for my son and his generation and all our kids that are coming through mm -hmm. now, they're going to have themselves represented yeah. in the media. And it, it is important. It is important. Like, you, you can't say, like, when people are, oh, why are they making Barbie dolls with one leg and fat Barbies and whatever? Um, Like, why are they doing that? And just keep it the same. And why has Little Mermaid got to be black and blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff is so important. We need that. We need that so um, everyone feels beautiful. Everyone feels worthy. Everyone feels like they have a place. Yeah. In world and you know I'm saying that as a white woman who up until years ago was slimmer do you know what I mean like I was the blonde hair blue-eyed slim white woman and I still felt out of place so you know if you're not in that demographic mm -hmm. it must be even more so so what does that say about a person as well who doesn't think that other people should be acknowledged and made to feel like they are included I just don't want the change. Yeah. Go and have a look in the mirror and ask yourself that question again. Mm. What about you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys. I think that's quite a good place to wrap it up. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's all we have time for today on the Unfiltered Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe as it helps us get seen. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Unfiltered Her. And you can also join our Patreon. Our Patreon is £5 a month. And in that, you get exclusive blogs, podcasts, bonus episodes, and Q&As of us all. All the links for those are in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And remember that... The her is no longer silent. Thank you for listening. And make sure to like and subscribe.